So some of you who know me pretty well aren't going to be surprised at all about what I'm about to tell you. And some of you um, who don't know me so well, I, well, I just want to give you a little insight into who I am and kind of make a confession, I guess. Um, so here we go. You ready? My name is Matthew Millen, and I am a geek. It's... It's just, it's true, I'm a geek. Pastor Tim likes to do manly things like go camping and chop wood and kill animals and grow ugly, nasty, bushy beards. And, and I prefer to do geeky things like play board games and video games and watch sci-fi movies and comic book things. And I'm just a geek, okay? And I think we balance each other out pretty well. Um, but I think probably the pinnacle of my geekiness is my love for Star Wars. I, I, it just is what it is. I think it's the greatest universe, fictional universe of all time. It's just got a great story. I love Darth Vader. He's my favorite character. It's a story of redemption. Come on. He was redeemed in the end. What's not to love? And so unless you've been living under a rock the last couple of months, you know that this weekend was the opening for a brand new Star Wars movie, Episode 7. And yes, I went and see it, saw it on opening night at midnight. It was amazing. It was awesome. I would recommend you go see it. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Don't worry. But I thought that as we look at the gospel today, it would be fun if I tried to weave in as many Star Wars quotes and references as I possibly could. And so, as I was thinking about how I might try to do that, I then realized that, uh, try not, do or do not, there is no try. And so that's exactly what I'm gonna do today. So if you're not a Star Wars fan, I don't know what's wrong with you. But secondly, I do apologize if some of these references are going to go over your head. Um, If you hear anything that's kind of weird or off base or just doesn't sound quite, it's probably a quote from one of the movies, from the original trilogy, by the way, that, that, you know, follow-up prequel was an aberration. So we're going to focus on quotes from the original, and I know some of you are probably thinking, I've got a bad feeling about this. But don't worry, all right, it's not going to be that bad. And if you are a fan, enjoy the references, but remember, remember, remember that we are here to be transformed by the Word of God. And so enjoy the quotes, focus on Jesus with me, okay? Let's be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit together. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to be answering this question, what is the gospel? So as you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, you will bow your heads and pray with me now. Father, I thank you so much for your gospel. I thank you for the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us, what he is continuing to do for us, and what he will do for us. And I pray that 
the message of the gospel, the full scope of the gospel would be transformative today. Lord, I ask that your spirit would be with us preparing our hearts to receive your truth. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak through me and that you would be glorified through all of this, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at the good news, I wanna break this down into four parts. There's four parts of the message of the good news of the gospel. And the first one that we're gonna begin with as we look at verse one of 1 Corinthians 15 is that the beginning of the gospel, the very starting point of the gospel is that it is a message of salvation. So as we turn to verse one of 15, we need to remember that Paul wrote the following a long time ago in a city far far away, and he wrote the following. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So the first thing I want us to see is that Paul, he is writing a letter back to a church that he founded in Corinth, and he is reminding them of the gospel that he had already preached to them. He is reminding them of the gospel. He is preaching the gospel back to people who are believers, And this is something that I think we often forget to do to ourselves. We who have put our faith in Jesus need to be continually reminded of the gospel. This isn't something that's just for those who are unsaved. This is something that we should be continually reminding ourselves of and allowing it to transform our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And verse three makes very clear that this gospel that Paul received was not something that he made up, it's something that he was taught. He received it from the apostles and from Jesus Christ himself, if you read Galatians 1, and Paul is continuing to remind this gospel to the ones who he shared it with originally and ultimately with all of us throughout history who have read this letter. Many scholars actually believe that verses three and four, and really the entire chapter 15, but three and four in particular, were kind of an early catechism of what the church taught was the message of salvation. The, this, these four elements that we read in verse, verses three and four are kind of the, the core elements of the message of salvation, the message of where the gospel begins. And those four elements are his burial, 
after his death, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his appearing again. Lots of you know this. Many of you know these four elements. Great job, kid. Don't get cocky. But I want to take some time to break this down just a little bit farther so it's clear. Because of the sin that is present throughout the world and has been present since Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God, God the Father required an acceptable sacrifice to be made that would compensate for or atone for, fancy word, it's really, it's compensate for that sin. So the starting point for the good news, we're answering the question, what is the good news? The starting point of the good news, the starting point of the gospel is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died as an acceptable sacrifice for the sins of the world. His death satisfied God's requirement that sin be paid for. And to underscore the fact that he was truly dead, Paul notes here that he was buried in a tomb where he remained for part of three days. But it's important that we recognize that the emphasis can't stop there. I've heard plenty of gospel presentations that focus almost exclusively on the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He died for your sins. And, And while that's true, yes, he died for our sins, his death is meaningless if it wasn't accompanied by his resurrection. We don't worship a dead God. Jesus Christ is alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father, Father, interceding on our behalf, advocating for us, mediating for us. That is what he's doing. It's, It's almost as if Christ was saying, strike me down and I will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Because once he was killed, he overcame death and rose again to life, and there were hundreds who witnessed the fact that he rose again. That is our God. That is the message of salvation. But the resurrection is critical. As Paul writes later in this chapter, down in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, the fact that Christ raised from the dead means that his death was an acceptable sacrifice. It's confirmation that the death was to someone who had lived a perfect life. Because if there is no sin, then the consequences of death aren't present, which is that you stay dead. He didn't stay dead because he had no sin. He rose again. It's connected. There had to have been a resurrection to confirm that the death was acceptable. Does that make sense? Do we we understand that? And so Paul is saying if there was no resurrection, then there was no atoning sacrifice, and therefore the sins of the world are still not forgiven. But because there was a resurrection, the sins are forgiven. And now we who have put our trust in Christ's sacrifice 
as opposed to our own human efforts, our own good works, our own whatever you want to put your trust in outside of that sacrifice, if we do that, we can have confidence that our eternity will be spent with Christ in paradise. Every single one of us is going to live forever. See, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. We will all live eternally. The question is where? Therefore, a presentation of the gospel that doesn't include the life, death, burial, resurrection, appearing, and as we'll see later, his ascension and second coming, if all of that isn't included, then we're presenting an incomplete message of the gospel. And he did all of this because of how much he loves us, because he knows that we're incapable of achieving right standing before God on our own. He knew that. None of us can save ourselves. I mean, when the Lord looks down at us, he sees that you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy than here on earth. And that includes me, and that includes you. (laughs) Jesus chose to become one of us and live the perfect life that none of us could live and died an acceptable death because he knew that was the only way. And then he rose again. That is a beautiful picture of love. It's what Christ was born to do. This is what we're celebrating. We want to celebrate his birth, but really what we're celebrating is the gospel. We're thankful because Jesus came to die and to rise again to be the answer for the sins of the world. We've got to cry out and say, help me, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You're my only hope. (laughs) But here's the mistake that we can make, all right? Here's, Here's the mistake that we can make. And it's a mistake that I had made for many years until I began to learn the full scope of the gospel. The gospel isn't exclusively about salvation. And I want to make sure that we hear this loud and clear. The gospel, the good news, is not exclusively about salvation, nor does the plan of salvation, that if you trust in Jesus Christ for your sins, you will be saved, and this is how you do that, the plan of salvation does not equate to the gospel either. Now, salvation is the starting point for the good news, but it's not the full measure of the gospel. And this might come as a surprise to some of you because so often in evangelical circles, the entire emphasis of the gospel is to get someone to make a decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved from their sins, to have Jesus come into their heart, and you're good. Good job. And if that's all you've understood the gospel to be, then you need to realize that you have an incomplete view of the gospel. And you will find that it is you who are mistaken about a great many things. 
See, if you're doubting me, I'm going to have to ask you to search your feelings because you know it to be true. And if your feelings aren't cooperating, which is often the case, then perhaps the word of God can illuminate things for us. So let's turn over in our Bibles to Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas have just been commissioned by the Holy Spirit to go on Paul's first missionary journey and they get to Antioch in Pisidia. And as is Paul's custom, he goes to the synagogue first. And he begins to preach at the synagogue and tell them about Jesus. And we're not going to read the entire section, but I would encourage you to read through the whole section of 26 to 33 in particular. This is Paul's little sermon there. But starting in verse 26, Paul says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So there's the message of salvation. We're going to skip down to verse 32. In between 26 and 32, he explains the message of salvation. And guess what that message is? That Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he appeared to many people who are now witnesses. All those same elements that he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. But then in verse 32 he says, and we bring you the good news, there's that word, good news, gospel, evangelion, it's the same word, the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Why is this important? This is important because there is a distinction between the message of salvation in verse 26 and the good news, the gospel, that all of God's promises to the fathers have been fulfilled in Christ. One of those promises is salvation, but there are many other promises that have found their fulfillment in Christ. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, All the promises of God find their yes, find their amen, find their fulfillment in Christ. So we need to see that the good news, the good news is far more than just a message of salvation. Yes, that's included, and we need to know that. But We can't be content with merely sharing the plan of salvation with someone, leading them in a prayer, and then thinking that our job is done. That is not the gospel you are looking for. That's a truncated and incomplete version of the gospel that's only going to mislead and misinform people. Now we're gonna dive more into that next week, but the fact of the matter is that we can do more harm than good if we don't present a full picture of the good news and we make the message solely about an individual's salvation. So by this point, I hope you're asking the question, okay, well, what is the rest of the gospel? Have have you started asking that question yet? Yes, I, I see some heads nodding yes. Good, good, everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. 
Now, as I said, salvation is the starting point, but as we turn back to 1 Corinthians 15, we're gonna go to verse nine, and we'll see that the gospel, secondly, is also a message of transformation. The good news is also a message of transformation. Paul writes in verse nine, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So a full picture of the gospel starts with the message of salvation, but it quickly turns to the fact that throughout our entire lives, even after we've been internally saved, we still need work. We still need to be transformed to look more and more like the children of God that we are. The Bible calls this process sanctification or being made more holy. And one of God's promises that is fulfilled in Christ is that he will make his people, his children, more and more holy like him. He promised that he would do that. That promise finds its fulfillment in Christ and that is good news. That's what Paul is referring to in verse two. If we look back at verse two in the beginning of this chapter, when he says that it is through the gospel that we are being saved in the present continuous tense, he's referring to the fact that, yes, when we put our faith in Christ and genuinely trust in him, we are made right before God. We are justified, as the Bible calls it. But we are also continually being saved, continually being made more holy, continually being transformed as we are made into the image of Christ. And then he uses himself as the example of that in verses nine and 10. Paul was a killer of Christians. He persecuted the church. And yet by God's grace, he was saved and he was transformed from a killer of Christians, not only to a Christian himself, but to a messenger that spread the gospel to the nations. That is good news that someone like that can be transformed from a murderer to a martyr. People, we we don't just need the good news to save us, we need the good news to continue to transform us and keep us saved from ourselves. And the fact that Jesus does that is an integral part of the gospel. At the moment of our salvation, God looks at us and he says, I am your father. But then he continues to work his grace in us so that we resemble our big brother Jesus more and more. A gospel message that only focuses on salvation and fails to include the good news that God will transform us through our entire lives even as we continue to mess up well, it's missing a huge component of what makes the good news good news. 
We're not just saved, but we're transformed. We're remade. We're new creations. And the Lord will continue to do a good work in us until the day he calls us home. That's what Paul said in Philippians 1 when he said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But we see in verse 10 here that while God's grace is the foundation and the power behind every aspect of the good news and the, our continual transformation, we have a part to play in this as well. Paul says that he worked hard to be transformed. And I'm putting words in his mouth a little bit there, but that's what he's essentially getting at here. And this hard work is something that we don't like to talk a lot about because it starts to sound dangerously close to earning our salvation. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's not talking at all about earning salvation. What he's talking about is that it's hard work to follow Christ and submit to his transforming power in our lives. See, the gospel isn't just about trusting in Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. The good news and the power of transformation comes through us submitting to Jesus as our Lord and Master as well. Joyfully and thankfully following him wherever he leads us and however he transforms us along the way. Our attitude has to be one where we say, what is thy bidding, my master? Throughout our entire lives as we follow Jesus and submit to him as our king and work hard to obey him and serve him with every fiber of our being as God's grace allows us to do so. That's Philippians chapter 2 where Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, there's, there's two things going on there. There's hard work as God works in us. That's the good news of transformation. Of course, the gospel doesn't end there either. The gospel is a message of salvation, it's a message of transformation, and next we'll see that it is also a message that gives an invitation. Verse 11 says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. The third part of the gospel, which frankly I think is probably the most overlooked, it's just so quickly swept aside especially in this culture, and we're really gonna dive into this one next week, is the fact that once we're saved and as we're being transformed, God invites us to participate in his mission to save the world and to be a part of the redemption of the entire cosmos. When we're saved, Scripture says, Romans 8, 17, we become co-heirs with Christ. But that we are also sent out by Christ, John 17, 18, to share the good news with the entire world around us. 
And this goes back to what Pastor Tim was preaching about last week, if you were here. He was talking about the importance of having a love for the Word of God. And how when we have that, and that permeates our soul, and as the Holy Spirit empowers us, we are going to go and we are going to share the gospel. And I hope that we are sharing the whole gospel. How are people to call on the name of the Lord unless they believe? And how are they to believe unless they hear? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? And who is going to preach unless they have been sent? Well, guess what? Part of the good news is that every single one of us has been sent. We have been invited to be a part of God's work. We aren't saved and transformed just so we can sit around on our butts and do nothing. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God looks at us and He says, Join me, and together we will rule the galaxy as Father and Son and daughter and the way we rule is by loving and serving those around us with humility and sharing the truth of the whole gospel with them if we aren't living on mission and actively seeking ways that we can be used by God then we don't understand the full gospel Maybe you don't think that God is calling you to be a part of what he's doing. Well, I'm just going to be blunt. That's a lie from the devil because Scripture clearly says otherwise. If you are one of his children, then he's got a job for you to do. So if that's what you believe, then you have been deceived by the dark side. Don't underestimate the power of the dark side. Or maybe you don't have the faith to step out and do what you know he's calling you to do because you're afraid. Well, again, let me remind you that fear is the path to the dark side. And frankly, I find your lack of faith disturbing. And on top of that, this is what we typically do. We make excuses. And I, I don't, I don't want to hear your excuses for not living out what you're called to do because I probably made all of them myself already. They're probably all the same excuses and rationalizations that I make, and they're wrong. We don't need their scum. The minute we start making excuses, we're letting the lies of the enemy in, and you are unwise to lower your defenses and let those lies in. When we do that, the enemy rejoices as he says, I have you now. We've got to get rid of those lies, reprioritize, and reevaluate what God is calling us to, and then we've got to engage. We've got to act on the invitation with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a privilege to participate in the work that God is doing to redeem his creation. And if we're ignoring that part of the gospel, even if we understand the rest of it, we're still missing the point. 
You may believe you're saved, you may trust in Christ, and you might see yourself being transformed, but if you aren't living on mission and participating in that invitation, then you're just experiencing delusions of grandeur because you've missed a huge piece of the gospel. You've made the gospel all about you. And what you get out of it and how you can benefit, and that's not the gospel. You were saved and are being transformed for the purpose of living out God's invitation to be a part of what he's doing, a part of what we proclaim to those around us, part that makes good news is the fact that they can be a part of this, they can participate, they're invited. You don't just do this and say, yay, I'm saved. No, you got a job to do. You don't think you have any purpose in your life? The gospel gives you purpose. That's good news. That's part of what we are to proclaim and live out. We get to be a part of what God's doing. But what is he doing? What's the big picture here? And that leads us to the final emphasis of the whole gospel. See, we, we quickly minimize the gospel down to our little individualistic perspectives, our own personal salvation, or even our own personal transformation and the work that I'm doing. But the gospel is so much bigger than our little world. The full gospel, the complete good news, must proclaim the restoration of all of creation when Christ returns to reign forever and to redeem the world, to usher in the new heaven and the new earth. Paul concludes with this truth throughout the remainder of chapter 15 as he emphasizes the importance of Christ's resurrection and his ultimate victory over death. It's where he says, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Probably my favorite verse in scripture because he's just mocking death because of what Jesus Christ has done. I think that's amazing. But that leads to the restoration of all things. That's good news. Let's pick it up in verse 20 where Paul writes, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet." This is what I was referencing earlier. The fact of the matter is Christ ascended into heaven and he's coming back. 
He is coming back, and that is what we look forward to because when he returns, he will put all things in subjection to his rule and the rule of God the Father, and all will be restored. The paradise that was the Garden of Eden will pale in comparison to the awesome beauty and peace and majesty and glory of what the new heaven and the new earth will be like. That is good news. The gospel isn't just about saving me. It's not just about saving you. It's not even about saving humanity. It's about restoring all of creation. That is good news. And if we leave that part out, well then, you're probably not very mindful of the future. You're probably not looking forward to Christ's return. And scripture, especially in the New Testament, over and over again tells us to look forward to Christ's return. And it's not just us, this is what Romans 8 talks about when it says that all of creation groans, and I imagine it kinda sounds like a Wookiee, which I'm not gonna try. Can someone do a Wookiee growl for me? I would have preferred a Wookiee groan. That's not bad. All of creation groans and eagerly awaits the day of redemption. That's Romans 8. And the good news is that there will be such a day of restoration. That is the future hope that we have. Not only that we're, we'll personally be with God, but that all of creation around us will be restored and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We can't lose sight of that. We've got to stay on target. Stay on target as we fix our eyes on the return of our Lord and the future promise and hope of restoration that we have. Now look, I've just scratched the surface on the gospel here, but my goal is for us to start seeing the good news as something far more than just our personal salvation. Jesus was born for so much more than to save you and I. He was also born to transform us and to invite us to be a part of the restoring work that God is doing. Next week, we're gonna dive into several practical implications of what happens when we have a narrow view of the gospel and what happens when we understand the broad scope of the gospel. But this week, I want us to see that the gospel should stir us up. S-T-I-R, I'm giving you an easy acronym here. We should be moved by the whole message of salvation transformation, invitation, and restoration. And we should seek to stir others up as we proclaim the whole good news as well. Kind of gives new meaning to Hebrews 10, right? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the gospel, it's the gospel that gives a Christian his power. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. And it's my prayer that as we go from here, the full scope of the gospel would be rooted deep in our understanding of what it means to proclaim good news. I want it to be said of each of you that the gospel is strong with this one. May the gospel be with you always. Amen.